0: Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Uh, Kim, great to be able to, uh, to be with you and catch up with you because there is just so much going on in the markets. And you know, I want our viewers to also understand that I said to you, look, if you need to step away during a conversation because there is so much going on, go ahead. To which you replied,
1: oh, no, I have my trades in today. And besides, I'm a glacial trader, not a fast trader. So, Perfect.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's important because you know there's so many just different investment styles, and you know when we hear in the news about the Reddit Robinhood um, traders or investors or whoever they are, like you know it's important to point out different styles. And you know you've been at this tried and true for a number of years now with a little bit more of a value bent.
1: Yeah, I mean I like to call it growth at a reasonable price, and part of the thing that you're giving up is timing, right? So um, while I am not the traditional value, where I have these hard um, metrics that my picks have to meet, you know, like no PE greater than twenty, or you know those kind of things, um, that is something that. Um, uh, sorry, something's going Wilson on hat. here. Uh, that is something that I don't believe in. Now, you you did say that um, the. Uh, there's lots of different styles. And I think for people who want to trade their own um, uh, portfolios, you have to be you. You have to find who you are as a trader. Now, I look at this uh, Robin Hood stuff and give a big eye roll because, as I said, I'm a glacial trader. I'm going to look at a company, look for what I consider to be um, catalysts for growth. And then I'm going to give them three to five years because I know the management is good. I'm waiting for some timing issues, but I'm not explicitly saying today is the day to buy and tomorrow's the day to sell or anything like that. We're just going to let business play out. But that's my style. Your style could be, hey, I'm hopping on this AMC thing and getting it off whenever or getting out of it if it hits 100 and you're out and you're in and that might work for you. It doesn't work for me.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been saying this now for a couple of years, really, Um, just, you know, for for viewers and new new viewers and listeners to understand that. I mean, you were really first on buying back into Microsoft a number of years ago, and that's been a that's been a home run.
1: Thank you. Everybody loves you know to take that victory lap. So I totally will. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have to because that's part of being patient and seeing value and expecting the company management to turn it around and 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 seeing what's going to come about. And I mean that that's what that's what real professionals actually do do.
1: Right. Well, I like to think of myself not so much as somebody in the stock market, but in the company market. I'm trying to be an owner of companies, not a buyer and seller of stock.
0: Got it. Okay. So, and we will get to some stocks that you like um, in, in a little bit, but let's kind of just take a, a top-down perspective, a macro perspective about all the different items that are going on. You know, of course, when well, we just touched upon the Reddit and you, you give them a, a big eye eyeball roll. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Is there anything more to say on that?
1: No. I mean, I, part of me thinks it's good because somewhere between uh, 2008 and nine, For a lot of people the stock market became a dangerous horrible place. And I don't think it is so for good or for ill Robin Hood has gotten people back in. And I think some of that is good.
0: Yeah, I and I agree. I think that people should realize that this is. The stock market's an opportunity to to be able to learn about companies and to make money. You know, it doesn't have to be just about your your job. You can really expand yourself and your horizons. Um, Okay, so another big topic, of course, inflation um, and and whether or not the inflation will be transitory or will get a a price shock. Some people I'm talking to are saying that's going to happen in 2022. This, of course, affects the interest rate environment. Uh, and affects the valuations of everything we own. It really affects, and it affects the economy and companies. So what's your outlook?
1: Well, I do not have a crystal ball, but I look into the past and I look at the, I guess, economists and just consumers' worst nightmare, which was the 1970s. And believe it or not, I lived through the 70s. And I wasn't a huge market participant because I was in high school mm-hmm. at the latter part of that. But I do remember um, listening as I got ready for school, because we didn't have the internet, we had this stuff called radio, mm-hmm. that I would listen to like the farm report, or and then the business report came after that. And, you know, the Fed would issue overnight pronouncements of where interest rates were, and they were desperately trying to get a hold on the economy as interest rates were going up and inflation was going up and it seemed like this never ending thing. And it was all done in back rooms. But I look at that time and I say, things are very different now. For one thing, the US, and we seem to have forgotten this, had gone off the gold standard in the beginning of the 1970s. So the Fed was not at all up to speed, nor anybody really, on running a balance sheet and how that could affect Daily people's lives, right, and the and how the money flowed around the the world. We are very um, well staffed right now with a Fed that understands that, and I think especially Powell, given his market background, really understands what that he's a participant in the um, balance sheet of the world, not just the balance sheet of the U.S. And that whole uh, taper thing that happened in 2017 when he misspoke, and we were up near uh, the 10-year uh, rate at about three, which every last bond trader wanted to see that happen, right? The 10-year, the, the U.S. 10-year with a three handle on it. So we're getting to inflation, but we're, I'm trying to paint the picture that now is different. I agree, I see inflation. I do the shopping in our household and you know, I see strawberries and fruit at crazy prices. And I know what it was last year. And I look at it this year and even in the job market, especially at the lower skilled levels, we have seen a huge like 25% jump from about 1250 to 15 bucks here in the States as your entry level kind of no skilled job. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. And this is where I'm getting to why I strongly believe it's transitory. We Mm -hmm. are not gonna have the replication of the 1970s. I know that's a lot of people like to talk about that, but because of the structural differences in the Fed and how they perceive their balance sheet and what their mission is, I don't think they're going to let that happen. And they understand the tools better, that's for sure. But also, I don't believe wage inflation is going to go spiraling up the rest of the skill curve, we'll call it. So, and I also think that once um, more of the workforce gets incented to get back to work here in the States, which is there's people receiving more money than they've ever actually earned working by not working, they're, you know, out of the market right now. And that the, there won't be a 25% increase year over year between 2021 and 2022 in those lower rungs of the employment chain. Okay, mm-hmm. So that's why I believe it's transitory. And thank you for giving me so much time to do a tour of the 70s. But I really <laughs> needed to set this. I can't encapsulate that thought in 10 words or less unless it's just, yes, it's transitory.
0: Yeah. Well, you're right. And, and I appreciate you going into the details and, and saying that it is so that it is different this time versus the seventies, because you're right on, you know, in a quick five, seven minute hit, you know, you can't go into those details. And it's important because we continue to debate whether or not it's transitory or not. And, uh, and you have to be able to get this right to really understand where the interest rate environment is going. And again, for any new viewer, and people were trying to learn about this, it's so important because it sets the stage for the interest rates that you pay on your mortgage, your credit card, your auto loan. It sets the interest rate payments that companies pay for their debt issuance. Um, it, it has so many ripple effects. It, it, it impacts the economy, not only in Canada, North, North America, but around the world. So it is important, but I wanna go back to something that you picked up, that you mentioned okay. as to why it is different this time. Uh, And you talked about the Fed's balance sheet, that it's different and they, you know, that they have different tools or what, what did you really mean by their balance sheet is so
1: different? Their balance sheet is different because, um, in 08 and 09, we knew exactly what was going on that balance sheet and why. Okay. So most people were talking about, um, saving banks from collapse. And that's exactly what that was for. What they were doing was they they ate up a whole lot of that bad debt and let it sit on their balance sheet. And some of it became bad and some of it got worked through. And this was all pretty much mortgages and residential mortgages in particular. And if you were a thinking person, you knew that they weren't going to sell those assets, the average US mortgage only lasts eight years, even though it might be a 30 year mortgage because people move or die or whatever, they sell their house Hmm. or they refi, right? So we have that going on. But it was then that I think the light finally went on that we have to think about the world and the US balance sheet with respect to other large economies. So at the same time, the EU and China were growing their balance sheets. So in, in 2017, when everybody saw the comfort level of, or the nirvana of the 3% 10 year come into sight, and everybody's excited, and the Fed snatched it away by lowering rates, right? The reason why they were doing that is because the US dollar was getting too strong relative to other um, regions' money. So why is that important? We have to keep our um, currencies exchange rates in bands that are normal or things are gonna go awry for the populations in those um, areas. So that's why the balance sheet is relative so again, COVID hits. They um, start buying all these non—I uh, I really don't know what they're buying, but they're buying a ton of bonds, right? Every month, like 180 billion, I believe. So they're uh, the Fed's balance sheet is growing. The EU's balance sheet is growing, and I believe China's remains growing because everybody slowed down. The entire world, you know, slowed down, but they still had to pay people to eat and have a place to live so that's gotten absorbed on the balance sheet and that's why it's different because this isn't just the U.S. kind of figuring out how the Fed's balance sheet needs to work because now they're they have to keep their um currency relative uh, mm-hmm. to the other currencies of the world in which they trade and again <laughs> I wish I could have shortened that but that. That's- <laughs>
0: No, it's important to understand, like it's almost because of everything that's gone on in terms of globalization over the past 20 years, we are just so interconnected. And if you forget that, just look at the financial crisis where all the banks were so interconnected that you didn't know who had leverage and counterparty risk. So it's almost this is the next stage and phase of that interconnectedness. I guess the only thing that perhaps could derail that is if, in fact, you have certain countries uh, being able to divert away from this the relativity game that we're all in. I right. don't know how you possibly could, but that would be the risk.
1: It, it's a risk, and not only is it a risk for the company or the country that does it, it's a risk for us all because yeah. then you know you've gone rogue and you've said, "Oh, I'm not going to support the exchange rate between my country and the rest of the world." So. Yeah. I, I don't really know how well that will work or if anybody is going to dare to do it, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. So, OK, so for right now, then the, the view, just given everything that we've said, uh, inflation interest rates in your in your mind um, or inflation is, is transitory. Yes. So when we think about what that then means for investing. Um, and I want to start with tech, because you have a real specialty in tech. And this has been a big debate in terms of, you know, whether or not these tech stocks are going to end up being overvalued. Maybe some will, maybe some won't. So what's your perspective there?
1: Um, I'm going to take the Miss America answer, and that's some will and some will. And <laughs> let's, but let's divide up the world. So, you know, that's because that's not very um, palatable to anybody that's watching this. That. So like who cares? You give a 50/50 shot there, Kim. But um, I divide the world into more discrete buckets. There's tech that is infotainment tech and that would be Twitter, um, any of the social media kind of technologies, right? And things that have, well, how can I put this? Maybe negative productivity if you're um, you know looking at them and saying if somebody's on Facebook at work, that's probably not adding to the productivity of the firm. So think of it that way. And then because I come from a background, having been a software engineer and a consultant in technology, um, where the productive technologies lie, right? And that's where companies are using them to try to do more with the people that are in their walls right now, right? So better products, more products, more services, that kind of thing, productivity. I think productivity delivered via tech never ever goes out of style. The amount of dollars that companies are um, incented to put into that area may grow and shrink depending on the new technologies coming out. But technology really is the only thing that adds productivity to companies.
0: And so with that said, um, and and looking at some of the buckets of, of technology, um, what do you think these days of the Fang stocks?
1: Um, I watch them. The only one that I've ki- uh, I own is the extra A in Fang, which is Apple. Um, finally, hell has frozen over, and I've bought Apple. <laughs> but I think that they are they do have a really strong moat at this point although I think that they are a consumer company kind of makes them a little on the wobbly side to be in my um, preferred silo of productivity enhancement. But, um, But the Fang stocks, I don't think they're ever gonna go out of business, but what they're really providing is advertising and or better ways of advertisers to get to certain groups of people. And that changes over time. Um, In the beginning of this talk, we talked about my old fashioned life when I was in high school that I listened to the radio. Well, that was a great way that people delivered advertising, newspapers, same thing. You see, these are our dusty old technologies. Well, someday, you know, Facebook might be that dusty old technology because the eyeballs may have um, gone elsewhere. You Mm -hmm. kind of see that in Instagram and, you know, Twitter and Snap, but those have kind of side pockets. And there are kind of special interest sort of areas, mm-hmm. but advertisers will always look for ways to get people. And so if Facebook and um, uh, those, and Google even, because they're searching, if they can continue to delight people, they will win the dollars, but I don't bet on it. I just think that companies like that get to their end of their usable life. They'll still be around, but the growth, of advertisers will not be there mm-hmm. that's what drives those companies
0: from a more near-term perspective though when we talk about um valuations and interest rates um and you know just you know your your sense of of the volatility that might come in these stocks if in fact when we see more inflation and the debate continues about transitory or not, I mean, what kind of downside do you think some of these stocks might have? And, or are they just such big bellwethers that everybody's using? Don't worry about it.
1: Um, I'd worry a little bit about it because if you want to win at the stock market, and God knows I do, what you really want to do is have that basket full of faster growing stocks. I think because they do occupy the top chunk of what the index is, the S&P 500, you're pretty safe in owning them but you probably won't outperform just because they're not growing. Now let's talk about interest rates again. Don't yeah. anybody's eyes glaze over. This is important. The interest rate sets the valuation that you can accept for your stocks. Whenever we had like 5% um, 10 year no, you know, that was the interest, interest rate for the 10 year um, bond in the U S you know, our highest Kind of multiple was in the low single digits, or I'm sorry, low double digits. So like 10, 11, 12. Now we're up where the um, S&P 500 is around 20. You know, the average is 20 times, or maybe it's higher than that, 23 times. But the lower the interest rate, the higher the um, multiple. So these stocks are trading at pretty good multiples. So that if the interest rates really do continue to rise and the the uh, government rates go up, then you could be looking at a serious shortfall, because the multiple, you must, you must accept a lower multiple. So they either have to grow earnings, because we have the multiple is price divided by earnings, right? So either earnings has to rise, or the price has to fall. And that's the simple math of it all.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, I think again, a lot of the time people say, well, if interest rates goes up, the stocks go down, but why? So you just explained it. So this is important, you know, really, because I really do think that there are people wanting to learn and, you know, Absolutely. even my mom's, yeah. And my mom sometimes, my mom has her MBA. She got her, speaking of the seventies, my mom actually went back to school in the seventies and got her MBA from Schulich here in wow. Canada, which, yeah, it was pretty uh, forward yeah. thinking. And so sometimes she'll even say, sometimes what you say, I don't really understand. I'm like, what? Come on. Uh, so I'm taking that to heart here. So I'm, thank you for, for describing why interest rates matter to valuations. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you something that um, I, I basically know you don't own the stock. I think you don't own okay. the stock, but I'm going to share something with that. I had an interesting conversation a couple weeks ago about Twitter Okay. And when we think about Twitter and I guess, I mean, I know it's obviously we know it's smaller than Google and Facebook and some of the others, but, but I, but I didn't really realize it is, it is so much smaller. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when you think about the market, the potential market opportunity, when something happens in the world, where does everybody go? I mean, they're not, I don't think they're, They're going to Twitter. They're not going to their LinkedIn page. They're not going to Facebook. They're not going to Google. They're going to Twitter. So when we think about growth and opportunity, what, and given what I just said, what do you think about Twitter?
1: Well, oddly, you should ask this on this very day, which is June 3rd, Twitter just came out with a uh, $3 a month um, new subscription for people who use it a lot. And the biggest thing that will probably drive people to do this, and this is crazy, and if you're not a Twitter person, sorry, you won't understand this, but for three bucks, you can delete tweets. You can make them invisible, like they never happen. And the rest of us who refuse to pay that three bucks a month, you know, we're stuck with, uh, once you tweet, a tweet is forever. So I think they are trying to expand, not just their, um, you know, the the love that people that have, for the platform. Cause if you're somebody that tweets a lot, you're all about it, right? And you're gonna be one of those people that pay the three bucks, not just to delete, there's other features as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. And I also think that advertisers, as they really begin to understand how to reach people, will be looking more towards very segmented, um, uh, or platforms that can deliver very segmented audiences. And I think Twitter does that very, very well because you can probably figure out where you are on the political spectrum through Twitter. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. all manner of things can be found about who is in your stream, who follows you, that whole web of complexity that is Twitter. So of any of them, you know, I might give Twitter a look. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm when when the, when this person made this comment, I'm like, that's it's pretty, it's potentially very powerful. Yes. yes, and it's interesting that they're not there yet, you know, like in terms of it, it capturing that,
1: right. crystallizing it. Right, right. Now, and well, that's opportunity, right? Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna bet can they pull themselves together, and be able to deliver that for advertisers? I think this three dollars a month thing shows that they're trying to think out of the box too. Mm I really do, and I always like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's also talk about um, some other areas that you're focused in on, uh, before we get to more of the sector and stock ideas, but liquidity. What's liquidity like these days?
1: Um, Liquidity is plentiful, and I think it's provided by the Fed with all of this money. Uh Um, And some of the people that um, received checks last year that were employed and probably not commuting and so, you know, saving on a minimum of transportation costs right if not, like all of the, uh, all the stuff it takes us just to get to work right the money that we spend on looking good and, uh, you know, feeding ourselves, they put that in the market. So liquidity is unbelievable. Now, do I think it's gonna go lower once people go back to work? I don't think so. Um, I, am, I am thinking that um, bonds might get more um, difficult in price discovery, but that's because everybody seems to be buying them, not just the Fed. So those are my brief thoughts on liquidity.
0: Okay. But you do see, though, that there's a lot of people participating in the market. I guess I'm kind of wondering as well, you know, what are the big hedge funds doing? What's, what's your sense in terms of flows? Um, you know, because going back maybe even eight weeks ago, I, you know, in COVID, I lose a bit of track of time. But, uh, but it seemed <laughs> as though there were a lot of people sitting on their hands, a lot of big money managers sitting on the sidelines.
1: Well, here's what's, it's funny. We're, um, we're in June now. And if you were feeling smug about going to a lot of cash, you feel kind of stupid now. And so I think that is aiding in the liquidity where the professionals are putting it to work. Um, the roller coaster ride that the uh, Reddit group gives is attracting um, crazy shorts, you know, uh, and hedge funds like mad. Because I guess if you buy a lottery, t- if you're one of the Reddit people that are buying a lottery ticket going up, you could be a Reddit hedge fund guy trying to borrow that same dollar and watch it go down. So I think liquidity, especially in shorting is higher than it has been in a long, long time. God bless them. Okay. Did you say God bless them? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tough, man. It, it is. Sometimes yeah. I think about shorting, but you really have to get the timing right really yeah. you know maybe that's not my game well, ever, if, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, have you ever seen a uh, um, rain man where he's he's a good card counter but somehow gets like transfixed by the roulette wheel I think that would be my shorting that I'd be <laughs> going like yeah I don't know how this works this is terrible you know I've lost some money we're not doing it but yeah, yeah. I, I do you know toss that around in my head
0: Yeah, well, you know, uh, I read an interesting note from a friend of mine who's a tech trader this morning and just talking about how some of the hedge funds are getting caught offside again. Yeah. Like, how how is this happening again? I don't know.
1: Well, you know, um, they really think that, well, AMC is a picture of that, right? Like, how could it go up? And then it goes really down whenever the company just becomes terribly greedy, right? Because overnight they said they were going to issue even more stock and yeah. So so that's how, you know, I, I don't know, maybe just too many people that that's short aren't really good at it.
0: Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> um Kim, let's uh, talk about an area that you, you know, you've talked a lot about and it's certainly and it, which is the semiconductor space. And yes. you know, um, for a lot of people even who aren't in the market or investing in semi-cap companies, everybody knows about the semi-supply shortage. So I want to start there from a macroeconomic perspective in terms of why is there a shortage?
1: Sure. Well, I think it's twofold, maybe threefold. The first, we'll we'll go with the easy ones. Apparently there's a drought in Taiwan and you need a whole lot of um, water to uh, cool things uh, whenever they're being made. And by the way, I've had the pleasure of walking through um, IBM Semiconductor, uh, very high-end plant. It is a thing of technology. It is a shining beacon of everything tech. And um, <laughs> you're walking through there and you smell it and you're like, this is some poisonous stuff. Boy, oh boy, I hope it stays in this building. But regardless, um, so there's that. Wait, can I stop you there for one second? Yes.
0: What do you yeah. mean you're walking through it
1: and it's all poisonous? Like, what are you wearing? Well, you, you can smell like all these Chemical smells, right? Like the enes, toluene, and benzene, and there's some really exotic chemicals that now they're they're sequestered in, um, you know, these machines that are that keep like the slurry of this chemical soup pretty well contained, but you you can still get the sense that there's a lot <laughs> of chemicals in that building. Wow. Anyhow, okay. yeah, just yeah, just a personal aside. Um, anyhow, so there's that the, the Taiwan is the area where there's a whole lot of um, semiconductor activity. There's a drought there. It's causing that. Secondly, during COVID, some industries that thought that they were going to be severely affected and they were for a very short time canceled orders. And here's the telling part. The semiconductor industry was able to step up and fill in those blanks. They didn't shut down their their lines, you know, waiting for the car companies to come back, they filled them with other orders. So that tells me that, oh, and then the car companies came back and they're like, ooh, sorry, we don't have enough, you know, we'll, we'll get you on the list. Mm-hmm. So that to me said there was probably going to be a semiconductor shortage sooner rather than later and COVID kind of accelerated it. And it's very difficult to build these plants. Again, this is very specialized equipment. There's a whole lot of. It's not just a big empty building. There's a whole lot of safety um, equipment that goes in, ventilation, that sort of thing. And so it takes years to build, even you know the smallest of these lines. So, um, but, but oh, and then the third thing is, uh, people are really worried that the semiconductor companies are going to overdevelop in the short term. I don't see it. I'm a complete bull on semiconductors because I saw um, uses for them coming up faster, and companies were building capacity for the demand.
0: So, um, yeah, because that—that that when the semiconductor stocks have gotten hit, it's because people think that companies that would need semiconductors double ordered, yeah. and that this is just going to be, you know, a, a short-term blip and. So when you say you saw other uses when the car companies pulled away during COVID, the beginning of COVID, what other uses did you see fill that gap?
1: Well, the first thing is, um, well, let's talk about like a big driver for all things technology and that's 5G is rolling out. And what 5G is simply put is an overlay on top of the current mobile network structure to enable really fast um, and persistent connections as you roll around the earth. And we do not have this. You might think you are connected at all times with your iPhone, but you are not. So there's applications like autonomous driving that needs truly persistent connections because it can't be down for a second. And those are the sort of things that 5G is going to enable. There's a lot more that it's gonna enable, but I don't know what it is. Otherwise I'd be investing in it, but I can see that having this platform is gonna allow people to go and do wonderful things with technology. So that's that's the first driver of this. Just rolling out another layer of um, mobile network is gonna soak up a whole lot of semis. And it's also going to make us go back and make the existing 4G networks, we're gonna have to add capacity. So that's more semiconductors. Then one of the basic uses for 5G is going to be internet of things. And think of um, right now, pipelines aren't constantly monitored, as you would imagine, because they go through a lot of country that is, well, desolate, right? And so maybe somebody checks on the pipeline once a day or how many ever times a day, but they send people out to do this. I strongly believe that 5G will enable all kind of remote monitoring to happen. And what is that? Literally thousands of semiconductors. I mean, on just one little application, like for one company. So extrapolate that around the world. So, and then finally as consumers, and this is my least favorite part because I am a Luddite here at home. (laughs) But I mean, I try to have as few like technology things around me as possible. But people love them. You love them, you know, even in your refrigerator, you can get a refrigerator that is connected to the internet and can tell you when it, you need milk. Mm-hmm. Semiconductors, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, probably another yeah. analyst would be good to talk about all the uses of that. Or just think about your cars, too, right? Um, there's a whole lot of intelligence, even in the lowest price car.
0: Right. And, and that was something that I believe you brought up in your note, which was really interesting in terms of the lower priced cars, which perhaps historically would not have used yes. as much technology. Now it's standard.
1: Yes. I mean, does anybody roll up their windows anymore? Right. I don't think so. Do you remember we used to have a thing that like, yeah. you had to crank right now. And <laughs> that's not, a, you know, super exotic um, computing devices, but you know they know if your hand is getting caught there it will come back down that is at least solenoids and sensors and those are made by semiconductor companies Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's amazing we're actually um uh building a house right now just got information or news not information it's news (laughs) that uh that apparently our dishwasher won't be in and available i don't think the fridge is either right because of the semiconductor yeah oh yeah But it doesn't, yeah. it still doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense, Kim, really, in terms of like, what happened?
1: I know, I know. Well, I mean, really, I think all of this synergy where even the companies that are getting the orders didn't quite believe it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, they want that many. But think about how much smarter, I mean, we, we bought a new car at the beginning or at the end of last year. And it was the same as the old car, but like eight years newer the mileage on this big lumbering SUV is so much better. And it's because there's computers that are shutting on and off you know, cylinders hmm. and improving. Right, and, it can, and that is, you know, that's a CPU. That's not like just some kind of simple um, me- uh, board. This is a real CPU that's doing big calculations. And the, it, it's incredible, incredible. Wow.
0: Um- so let me, before we get into the stocks, I want to ask, though, because many governments around the world and certainly the United States is saying, look, we can't be so dependent on international companies for our semiconductors. So do you really see the United States building plants and, and to what degree, to what size and where?
1: And Well, I think Arizona is a big zone right now. Um, that's where Intel has a lot. And remember 75% of Intel's products are made here in the US. Hmm. So, um, and they are expanding. And it was, a, and they were expanding before just because they had need and they saw what they needed to do. Uh, Micron, which is a, uh, you know, Taiwan domicile company. They are, um, they were planning and are going to do that anyhow, expanding here. Um, I think it's just a smart move just because, um, let's not even touch on political stuff, but Taiwan's kind of in the center of the earthquake zone, you know, the Pacific Rim, Um, probably would be good to have offload some of that to less, um, I don't know, shaky ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I think the U.S. will get its share, but I think a lot of other countries will as well. Why not have some in Europe? Why not have some in Africa? I mean, there's Mm -hmm. many, many places around the world that will just allow for a little bit of risk remediation, you know, all yeah, your chips in one basket.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, but you, to your point earlier though, how long does it really take to, to get one of these plants up and running?
1: Years, probably 18 months at a minimum. Okay. There you go. So okay. yeah, that's why I'm like a complete bull on Because Yeah. So let's talk about them. What, what, what names? Well, I really like Micron and Micron. I like, um, I like them because of their product set. They make um, these non-volatile memory devices that are used in many, many things, not just cameras. Um, does anybody buy a camera anymore? Well, I was going to uh, say,
0: that's not appealing. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, actually I do, but that's a, that, you know, that's my Luddite me, right? The old technology. Okay. Anyhow, um, you know, PCs are some, but even uh, enterprise um, server, or I'm sorry, data farms are starting to use these uh, NAND devices. So that's one reason. Um, and I think they're just a really well-run company and they've shown that over and over again. And and that's a small area, the, the non-volatile memory device area. There's only about eight companies that make those products. And when one brings on, um, a, uh, a new plant, it can depress and has depressed the pricing of everybody else because it is sort of a commodity item. And again, Micron is bringing out some newer technology to differentiate itself from the rest of the NAND crowd. So that's why I like them.
0: Okay. And what's valuation like? What's management like?
1: Uh, valuation is a little on the high side, but we are looking three to five years out where you know all things should be bigger and better. Um, And management seems to be reasonable, which I think you should have um, a medium bar for management. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're not going to get world-class management in every company, but what you really want to look for is can they execute? And what you have to do is just go backwards in time and look at what they said they were going to do and whether they did it. And it really is that easy. Just spot check them you know, and this is people like me, I should look at every release and make sure they're gonna do stuff, right? This is how you can run your uh, company at home and know, or run your um, investments at home and know that the companies that you're buying are okay. Um, And the second thing is, if you think the current management and the board is moving the company in the correct direction, don't buy hope, don't. So, if it's not coming in the right direction, say, oh, they have great assets and it'll be okay. No, it won't. No, the direction matters. So okay. I that, and so Micron passes um, on both of those accounts. They're moving in the right direction, diversifying their product line into less commodity st- uh, sort of stuff and management executes.
0: Okay. Um, let's talk about Xilinx as well. That's another one that you like.
1: Sure, and this is a backdoor way to buy AMD. Xilinx is a maker of very specialized chips, some of which run um, mobile uh, data, I guess, access points from where the landline goes into like a tower. So it's very specialized sort of out in the field um, Hmm. equipment. And I like them because they had that really high-end differentiated product management was good and AMD is buying them. AMD has really come up the curve. And because I am old and because I've <laughs> um, been a software engineer before, I stayed away from AMD because pretty much every time they got like some good stuff going, they just make a horrible mistake and go crashing back to earth. And Lisa Sue, the CEO uh, is extremely good and seems to have prevented them so far from crashing into the ground. And I like her acquisition of um, Xilinx. It's an all-stock transaction, so we will be keeping shares of AMD whenever Xilinx becomes AMD Hmm. later this year.
0: Interesting. What about uh, NVIDIA?
1: I love NVIDIA, and I absolutely love them um, at least attempting to, if not being able to buy ARM. And I hope I'm not talking over anybody's head here. So Arm is a company that's based in England that has come up with the design of the chips that NVIDIA makes, the foundational design. And a lot of other um, semiconductor companies, um, they uh, give them royalties to use ARM technology. So I like NVIDIA. My issue with NVIDIA, though, is, is many of their end markets are going to have to use much cheaper chips than nvidia can currently use for example autonomous driving if we're going to have autonomous systems in cars and you know we put out millions of cars a year you're not going to be paying like thousands of dollars for the chips that are driving the cars you're just not cars get uh, into accidents you know nobody's going to want to insure that car with twenty thousand dollars worth of chips in it right so um, I think a company like Intel and you can give me a big eye roll on that one <laughs> that, <laughs> that can make this sounds really terrible, but just go with me on this good enough chips that do the job but aren't you know at the premier pricing point. I think they win the supply chain. Wow, yeah, I know. I don't
0: know I mean it's a big it's a big statement because I mean I <sighs> I, I get it in the sense that, and I, I didn't know. So just give us a, the example, like an NVIDIA chip for a car. You, you I mean, you just said that there be there could be $20,000 worth of chips sure. in a car, of an NVIDIA's car.
1: Well, right, at today's prices. I mean, they have to come down, right? So yeah. I live in Pittsburgh, and we have a couple of autonomous driving places. Uber, Uber used to be here. Aurora is here. And there's a couple of truck places that are trying to make autonomous trucks, which, by the way, I think that, Autonomous trucks is a productivity problem, right? You can put them on the highway. It's a much simpler solution set than trying to get cars to navigate around people and dogs and all kinds of stuff that happens in the the city. And the markings on the roads are completely different city to city here in the States. So, you know, that complicates it, but long haul trucking is a problem that I think can be solved by autonomous driving. And it's just a Okay. But anyhow, I, mm-hmm. so I, I look at what goes into those cars and I know that, you know, it has a 360 degree um, uh, camera on the top. It has all these cameras on the sides. I know there has to be, you know, and those, the chips go for a couple thousand bucks for NVIDIA. So there has to be at least five or six of them there, if not more. Uh-huh. So yeah. And that's, that's why I'm making that statement that none of these systems are out. But once, you know, they, they really have to make them price sensitive because mm-hmm. how much are you going to pay? $100,000 for a car and $20,000 of that is your autonomous driving system. I don't think it's, you know, doable for the people, we'll put it that way. Right. Some people, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Most people I'm, know.
0: So, where, where are both of these companies, though, in terms of, um, their market penetration in cars as an example, Intel versus an NVIDIA?
1: Well, both are nowhere, right? These are all experimental units. Um, so but what about for I the think,
0: cameras? Like who's, who's you know, with the 360 camera right now, whose chip would that be?
1: I would say, well, mobile, mobile I could be doing that. And some of that is NVIDIA, but I believe that um, the AI on the um, NVIDIA, I'm sorry, that would be Intel with Mobileye, but I'm sure that um, uh, NVIDIA has more than capable software that is dealing with mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. because of the speed at which their, um, uh, their chips go.
0: Yeah, but stepping back at the same time, I mean, I guess is NVIDIA just to be looked at as best in breed and, yes. um, but your concern sounds like you know, with the application of more and more chips, maybe they don't right. capture the mass.
1: Right. And I, you know, right now I think, I think they're priced to perfection. We'll put it that way. Okay. So um, if they could make them cheaper, but they don't really have an incentive right now to make them cheaper, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. so why do that? Yeah. Um, and can they, yeah, yeah, sure they can, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see.
0: What what is the latest with Intel, and I know you've been you've been a, a bull on Intel for a while, so yeah. give us the latest.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll just say this at the beginning. I was wrong, I was wrong for a little while there. You know, they did improve. They have a new CEO, and he's moving the company. Oh, this is good. It, it fits into what I was saying before. He's moving the company in the correct direction. I thought one of the strengths and the reason why I owned Intel was because not only do they design the chips. But they also create them and you could be saying well isn't that what all chip makers do no nvidia does not make their own chips they contract out for that so because i'm kind of an engineering nerd i know that the building process is very important for the um uh gross margins and the operating margins of a, of a company so i think that because they own both the fab plant and the design that the fab people can um, talk to the designers to make sure that they're not doing anything wasteful in the design and they could do things better to, you know, make those gross mm-hmm. margins higher. And I always, I, I'm just, that's my bias. I like companies with great and growing gross margins. And, so and that's so I really you, like Intel. You,
0: you like the integrated model. hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But That's also been one of the criticisms of of Intel, correct?
1: Yeah, well, that's because they didn't keep up with the latest and greatest. Uh, okay, <laughs> Taiwan Semi came and ate their lunch, and okay. shame on them. Yeah, they had some uh, turnover in the CEO department, and yeah, I stayed too long at that party. I should have seen that, but we learned.
0: Yeah, and you're but you're in it, and you're you've got the confidence in the company management, and you like the business model,
1: right? Well, I, you know, I. Covered the company for forever, so um, I know what is below the C suite is good. And mm. now that uh, the CEO is back to um, enabling them to be the engineers they need to be, mm-hmm. we'll see. But I'm willing to take a bet on them.
0: And valuation, I haven't looked at it lately, but I probably couldn't should.
1: Now, yeah, it's it's on the well, it's on the cheap side for the chips, that's for sure. But yeah. that's not saying much, right? <laughs>
0: um, Kim, with respect to NVIDIA, I'm just kind of curious now, who does make their chips?
1: I believe it's Taiwan Semi.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, let's shift focus out of tech and into consumer discretionary. Uh, that's, um, you know, That's been a good place to be as of late. Yes. Do we think it continues?
1: I think so. I think we're only at the beginning of it. And here's why. Um, for many people who like to wear clothes and be current, they've uh, had to take a year off, and so they have to go out and buy everything. It's not like you could just use last year's shoes because we didn't buy any shoes last year, mm-hmm. really, didn't. or at least shoes that should be seen. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, so I am super excited about um, higher end retailers because that's typically where people who care about what they look like and more importantly, care what other people think about what they look like, that they're going to spend and make sure that their um, style is identifiable by anyone. Right. It's almost,
0: it, it's almost um, you know, odd to be thinking as we get out of this pandemic that I'll be wearing what I wore in 2019.
1: Yeah. Another right? decade. Like
0: it, it's that long ago. It's really that long ago because it was the beginning of 2020.
1: Yeah, yeah and well here's the other thing and I think this will um resound with your uh your viewers I've been watching Shit's Creek love it I, I know I know I want to live there but that's neither here nor there but Alexis <laughs> is the perfect person to talk about with respect to clothing <laughs> right would she would she be satisfied with last year's stuff no way right, right. exactly the uh the kind of consumer I'm keying on and where they shop because there are many of them and they are going to drive sales. And even people that aren't quite Alexis. um, Right. I'm thinking Stevie probably wouldn't, you know, go out and buy new things, but there are a few Stevie's and more Alexis.
0: Yeah. And Steve would probably still want the latest kind of hip, you know, sweater or something like that, right? Like everybody... Yeah. And everybody right now is wearing tie dye, which I have not caved to do yet.
1: Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But Anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's funny because, as I said, we are moving and I got to go through my closet and get rid of stuff. And I literally I don't throw out anything. So I still have stuff from like I'm not kidding when I was 18 and 20 years old. And you know what, I probably, to your point, like, you know, shoes that shouldn't be worn, probably like, I probably, I could never wear this really. (laughs) It's too worn out yeah, not, not age appropriate, but, but anyway, um, but I think that, you know, to your point, I mean, people are, you know, people are also, I think, really going to want mentally to be refreshed. Yes. Yeah. I think so. So, Having said that, so this is going to be interesting too. When I worked at William Blair, I, I um, covered equity research, or I was in equity research covering specialty retail and e-commerce yes. back in the late '90s. And you know, you always have to look at, as I say, refresh. Like, are, is it going to be bright colors? Or is that what's going to be coming out? Like, there will be these trends, and the retailers that can pick up on it and do it on yes. mass uh, will win. So, having said that, what retailers do you like?
1: Well. This goes back to Alexis. I like Urban Outfitters because of the free people. I think the people who wear free people are gonna want whatever free people comes out with, right? Like this year's free people. So that's one of them and the anthropology brands as well. Again, that skews to a higher sort of um, buyer but it also skews to uh, people that want new and there's gonna be new shapes. And I'm sure you remember like the inverted triangle or the triangle right where people had like a flowing top kind of thing and skinny jeans we're going away from skinny jeans so that's a whole whole thing too right so mm-hmm. it's not just the colors but it's the shapes and you want stuff that says welcome to you know the the 20s the 2020s yeah um, so uh, the other one and we don't own this we do own urban um, I kind of like Nordstrom because I think they are really good at um, providing clothing for the forward-focused buyer.
0: But what, what's what been the latest there? Because obviously they had some significant difficulties during COVID. So what is the latest?
1: They I'm did. Um, well, I also like their strength in uh, their online sales. And they kind of limped through with online and they made a huge investment in uh, downtown Manhattan, which that you know, has yet to be uh, really driven higher, right? Because even, I don't know anybody really going to New York quite yet for business. So, mm-hmm. uh, but when they do, I think they'll win. But I think uh, the rack is a good um, part of their business as well. And they managed that actually relatively well throughout COVID
0: how's the valuation it's got to be pretty good is it
1: yeah i think it is um it's uh on the lower end of their spectrum and i also like that family is still involved they're very involved there's an there's a couple of nordstroms at the top
0: um kim outside of apparel what anything else you like in retail
1: no i was looking at hard goods like furniture um, a lot of people, you're not alone that you're moving to a new house. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have been um, upcycling, but I don't really like any of the retailers that I see out there. I'm a little leery of um, restoration hardware. And maybe this is just my style, but I look through their lookbooks and there's very little difference to in my eye from one one of their looks to the next. It all looks very much the same. And it also looks very much the same with respect to what it was five years ago. So Mm -hmm. they had been, you know, they came back from death, right? They've been doing really well. And I just look at what they're offering and it's kind of ho-hum. So there you go. On the low end, Target has some interesting stuff for both apparel and um, uh, the home, but they feel, feel a little toppy at this point. And
0: what about VFC Corp,
1: which owns brands? You do? Yeah. Well, and this is a longer term play. They may not win the uh, go out and look good because they, even though they have brands like the North Face, which if you're into fashion, you're going to want to be well uh, appointed when you go back out hiking, even though you probably won't Mm -hmm. see anybody. Mm -hmm. But um, they're more in the outdoorsy brands like Vans, Timberland, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much longer term play. I like them because they're the Procter and Gamble of clothing. They'll actually go and understand why people are buying their clothing,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: incent their designers to make people's, um, you know, lifestyle brands come true. So I, exactly. I like the their, I guess, um, mm-hmm. process.
0: Yeah. Um, stepping back, you know, when you take a look at, and you're a stock picker. Um, but you take a look at some of the leading areas of the market. I mean, le- retail's done very well. You can look at the XRT, which is an ETF there, um, mm-hmm. because it just—it really does go back and, and resonate with the fact that we really haven't bought anything and been out and about since the end of 2019. And it's, you know, it's middle of 2021.
1: I know. I know. Well, you're, you're making me <laughs> want to go shopping. I'm going to hang out. shopping. Me too. Yes. <laughs>
0: You know, I, I you know it's it, when you think about 2019. I have to share something with you as well, which is um, we we also have a condo because we live outside the city, and uh, and I put up a Christmas tree in 2019, and then we were skiing in the beginning of 2020, and then all heck broke loose. So I still have the Christmas tree up, and I'm not taking it down as a symbol until we are fully through this. Oh, that's <laughs> so... great. Now, it's just I'm a sure one. It's a plastic. It's an
1: artificial. Oh yeah. Movie. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Just I, a cute I, little and, conda tree. Yeah. You might want to just burn it. It's like so take it out to the suburb and <laughs> you know just get rid of it. Get get the bad juju of that time. So
0: you know what? Maybe maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, Kim, we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, this has been amazing uh, and uh, very informative. And I guess just stepping back for viewers who um, you know have their portfolio and with all the aspects going on in the world um, are concerned, you, you, you would say what, as it relates to investing right now?
1: Oh, always take a look at your portfolio, understand what the future, what you think the future is going to be and look at it with that eye, but then don't do too much. Like fussing around with things generally doesn't make it better a little benign neglect if you've chosen the right management that are pointing in the right direction. It, things usually work out. So that's Good my advice. Um, advice to you. Take it easy.
0: That sounds great. Uh, Kim, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, insight, valuable insight, and, and a conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. We'll do it again.